The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, May 1st. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guest, international best-selling author and filmmaker, Jeffrey M. Smith. Jeffrey Smith is the executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology and a leading spokesperson on the health dangers of genetically modified organisms, better known as GMOs. His books include Seeds of Deception and Genetic Roulette, and his films include Hidden Dangers in Kids' Meals, Your Milk on Drugs, Just Say No, and a new documentary due out in early summer 2012. Our topic today are genetically engineered foods promoting autism. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you. Jeffrey, what in your upbringing or history made you have the consciousness to ask what's in our food? I'm not sure what the upbringing had to do with it because my diet as I grew up was just terrible. (laughs) But uh, by the time I went to college, I had was thinking, well, maybe eating health food is a good idea, and health food was kind of primitive back then. And I helped naturally uh, promote it in college by creating what I called the Soybean Alliance, and I was able to introduce natural or healthy food into the student union cafeteria and had no idea that I would be involved in a lifelong pursuit of healthier food. All right, and you're using the terms GM for genetically modified and GMO for genetically modified organism, what do these terms mean? A genetically modified organism is something where a gene from another species, like a virus or bacteria, has been forced into its DNA so that it expresses a new protein and a new trait. So in food, for example, bacterial and viral genes have been put into soybeans and corn and other crops, primarily for two reasons, either to allow the food allow the the plant not to die when sprayed with a weed killer, which normally kills plants, or to produce its own toxic insecticide, which breaks open the stomach of insects and kills them. Those are the the main traits for the genetically modified organisms that are grown and that we eat. So you mentioned soy and corn. What other basic food ingredients are being genetically modified? There's uh, canola which is used for oil, cotton, which is also used for oil, sugar beets, which is the source of most of the sugar in the United States, alfalfa used for hay, also papaya from Hawaii and China, a little bit of zucchini and crookneck squash. And we also count in our list milk from cows treated with genetically engineered bovine growth hormone where the drug is created from genetically modified bacteria. 
All right. So those would are those the labels that you see in the health food store that says does not contain any what is it RBGH or something? Exactly, RBGH or RBST. Right. Okay. But you're talking then about things that the animal ate. How would that affect us? Well, the documents made public from a lawsuit from the FDA's own files showed that they were very concerned about GMOs directly being fed to humans, but also indirectly. The Center for Veterinary Medicine said that there are unique health risks from humans eating milk and meat from animals that have been fed GMOs, but not a single study has been done to evaluate those problems. And we see a lot of problems in animals that are fed GMOs, and we don't know what the effects are of eating sick animals. Would it just be, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, getting into the politics of things, but would it just be that they don't have time and money to study these things, even though they've expressed a concern, or is there something else going on? Oh, there's definitely something else going on. You see, the scientists at the FDA had repeatedly warned of new toxins, allergens, new diseases, and nutritional problems, and described GMOs as substantially different and unique risks. But the policy came out saying, we have no idea of any differences of GMOs, therefore not a single safety study is required. Companies like Monsanto, who told us that their PCBs, Agent Orange, and DDT were safe, can determine on their own whether their GMOs are safe and not even tell the FDA or consumers. It turns out that the person in charge of FDA policy was Monsanto's former attorney, later Monsanto's vice president, and now he's the U.S. food safety czar back at the FDA. Yay. Well, we can see a conflict of interest there, clearly. Let's get back to the sugar beets. That was pretty alarming to me. There's sugar in it, and... So many things. Does that mean that if we're consuming products that contain sugar that were made from those genetically modified sugar beets, we could be in peril? Yes, it does. Um, and if something says sugar but it doesn't say cane sugar, then most of it is sugar from sugar beets. Now, sugar is highly refined. It's got 99% dextrose, so the risk of damage is less from the genetically modified sugar than it would be, say, eating corn on the cob that was genetically engineered or tofu or soy milk or polenta. So there is a risk there because the process of genetic engineering causes massive collateral damage in the DNA. It can increase the existence of toxins, even microtoxins, which can be deadly. For example, there was a food supplement in the 1980s that killed about 100 Americans and caused five to 10,000 to fall sick. It was L-tryptophan, but it was only the brand that was genetically engineered that caused the deadly epidemic. And it's, it was, had such small levels of contaminants it passed the U.S. pharmaceutical standard for safety and was still deadly. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. So this is going back in history with the L-tryptophan, and it was only the genetically modified L-tryptophan, and it passed the regulations, the regulatory testing. But hasn't that affected Codex somehow? Has that gone into people trying, the powers that be trying to restrict our citizens' access to dietary supplements, things like what happened with the tryptophan? Well, what happened was the, the FDA was trying to get rid of tryptophan, 
and class of, of supplements like that for many years and was unsuccessful. When the epidemic came up, it was their excuse to get rid of all L-tryptophan, even though it was only one brand that caused the disease. And when they reported to Congress, they omitted entirely any reference to genetic engineering, hiding that evidence. And so it was used as a kind of a, uh, excuse for them to push L-tryptophan off the market, which was, in fact, a competitor to Prozac, which was about to enter the market. So, yes, this is, it relates very much to the whole um, pro-pharmaceutical bent of the FDA, and it, it was a way to bury the concerns about GMOs, which could have stopped the, the entire genetic engineering of our food supply had the truth come out at the time. Wow. That is huge. All right, so you've, you've told us how a plant is genetically modified, why they're doing it. Tell us about the mechanisms of action of the poison going into the plant. Well, there's two poisons. There's the two types of plants. There's the poison drinkers and the poison producers. The poison drinkers are those that are herbicide tolerant. So you spray Roundup herbicide on Roundup-ready soybeans, and the Roundup herbicide gets absorbed into the plant and gets uh, accumulated in the food portion. But then there's also the BT toxin, where you insert a gene from soil bacteria into the cell, which you then clone into the plant, and now every single cell of the plant has a poison in it that breaks open the stomach of insects. So whether you, whether you genetically engineer the gene within the plant to produce the poison, or you genetically engineer the plant to receive poison and not die, there's either higher levels of Roundup, which is a poison linked to cancer and birth defects and hormone disruption and Parkinson's, or there's BT toxin, which is linked to allergic and immune responses and other problems like erosion of the uh, human cells. And you know, I'm probably going to make you tell us what BT toxin means. All right. So there is a uh, soil bacteria called, or bacterium called Bacillus thuringiensis. Now, you can go to a garden store and buy a can of spray from BT or Bacillus thuringiensis because they gather the bacteria up in the spores, they put it in a spray, and they spray it on. It kills certain insects. And then it biodegrades and washes off, and it's gone. It's, a, it's approved for organic agriculture. It's used in conventional agriculture and forestry. But there's some danger associated with it. When it was sprayed for gypsy moths in Washington and Vancouver area, about 500 people had allergic and flu-like symptoms. Some had to go to the hospital. When it was uh, fed to mice, they had a tissue damage in the intestines as well as an immune response. But for some reason, the... Uh, regulatory agencies and the biotech companies ignore the published peer-reviewed studies about the dangers of BT toxin, claim that it has a history of safe use, claim that it has no interaction with human beings, and have therefore allowed it to be introduced into every cell of, say, corn and produced it thousands of times the concentration compared to that of the spray, and it's designed to be more toxic than the spray form. So it's really really a gamble with our health. And as, we, as we'll see, as we talk about it, I think it's a very serious, dangerous addition to the human diet. All right. Well, let's pick up with that when we come back from break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Jeffrey M. Smith. Thank you to our sponsors, Oxy Health and Superberries. We'll be right back. 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. And we're talking about genetically modified organisms. And before we forget, Jeffrey, why don't you tell us about some websites where listeners can look for more information on the next break? Sure. We have two websites, uh, responsibletechnology.org, which is our Institute for Responsible Technologies website, and we have free videos and a free newsletter and free audios and lots of articles. And then we have non-gmoshoppingguide.com. Non-gmoshoppingguide.com offers thousands of products easily identified by category that are verified as non-GMO, and we also have the same information on an iPhone application called Shop No. GMO, and that is free. Very good. iPhone application, so you can take it with you to the supermarket. Well, thank you for protecting our health that way. Before the break, you had started telling us the Frankensteinian. Is that the right adjective there, Frankensteinian story (laughs) of genetically modified plants and the mechanisms um, at work there? And you started telling us about BT toxin, bacillus, Thuringiensis, did I pronounce mm-hmm. that correctly? Perfect, perfect. How widespread is the use of Bt toxin? Well, there's 90 million acres of corn in the United States, and uh, the majority of it has Bt toxin produced in every cell. It's also in most of the cotton grown in the United States. Uh, so it's pretty prevalent. And you'll find it in, you know, in the corn chips and in the, and it's not in, it's not in most corn on the cob because that the corn on the cob is, has a lower percentage and it's not at all in popcorn, which is not genetically engineered and doesn't even cross pollinate. But if you get things like corn flour and whatnot, these are combinations of GM and non-GM corn all mixed together in the, in the grain elevators and sent to the processing plants. And so the majority is genetically engineered. This this topic, in case listeners are wondering, this topic is really important 
for parents of children with the diagnostic label of autism because so often we move to a gluten-free, casein-free diet, and that's an appropriate thing to do. But then we find ready-made products that contain corn and soy. So it's really important to be hearing what Jeffrey is saying. So the, the use of BT toxin is wide, and you were talking about what happens to the plants, uh, where the poison goes in the plants, but when a human eats it, where does the poison go in the person consuming it? Well, first of all, the um, biotech industry and the EPA claimed that the BT toxin would be completely destroyed during the digestion process, but that turns out not to be true. In a study in Canada at Sherbrooke Hospital, they found BT toxin in the blood of 93% of pregnant women and in the blood of 80% of their unborn fetuses, plus two-thirds of non-pregnant women had it in their blood. So it does end up going into our bodies it somehow gets through into the bloodstream, and of course, children don't have a well-developed blood-brain barrier. It could end up in their brains. So it's something that we really need to pay close attention to. In fact, another one of the assumptions by the Environmental Protection Agency and Monsanto, for example, is that the BT toxin is harmless to humans and has no impact whatsoever. It only affects the cells of certain insects. Well, it, well, the way it does is it pokes holes in those cells, causing pores, breaking them open, essentially. But a study that was published in February of this year uh, this, you know, basically overturned that assumption as well, which we already knew was false, where they took the BT toxin from Monsanto's corn and exposed it to human cells, and sure enough, it punched holes in those cells, causing pores and leakiness. And so we are very concerned about the impacts of the BT toxin on our systems. We'll get to the holes in the gut lining in such in a moment, but do the toxins reproduce in us? Well, that's a very good question. Um, the only human feeding study ever published on GMOs showed that part of the gene that was inserted into soybeans to make the soybeans Roundup ready transferred into the DNA of bacteria living inside our intestines and appeared to continue to function. So this means, if true, that long after we stop eating genetically modified crops, we'll still have these foreign proteins produced inside of us. Now, it was only verified that the soy gene transferred, because that's all they looked at. If the corn chip gene, if the gene that produces the BT toxin from a corn chip or polenta or whatever transfers to our gut bacteria and continues to function, then that would mean that we have living pesticide factories inside of us. Now, if we go back to the research done in Canada, 93% of pregnant women had BT toxin in their blood. The BT toxin is expected to be washed out of the blood on a regular basis. So how come so many women, such a high percentage, had the BT toxin? Now, the authors of that study speculated that because Canadian women don't eat so much corn tortillas every day, it may be from the milk and meat from animals that are fed GM corn. But I think that they missed the other explanation, which I think is more plausible, that the BT toxin from some tortilla, for example, converted their intestinal flora into living pesticide factories, and that's what produces it 
day in and day out on a continuous basis, and that's why 93% had it in their blood. All right. So how do we get rid of these living pesticide factories in our bodies? You know, I, I think that this may be related to autism in a number of ways, and I know that some people have very profound dietary interventions and other interventions with probiotics and whatnot, and they find recovery, but not only just autism, but other or some levels of recovery, but also many other diseases that might be related to BT. Some physicians and healthcare providers tell me that they have, have success, but no one knows if the genes, in fact, are transferring, are causing damage, and are fixed because there's no research on it whatsoever for the BT toxin. So I'm, I'm going to have to come up empty-handed with a surefire strategy. Let's go back to talking about the animals. Um, there were people who've observed or studied animals. Let's talk about what these genetically modified feeds did to animals behaviorally and neurologically. Well, it's very interesting that we hear this from laboratory experiments as well as livestock experience that numerous times animals who are fed genetically engineered corn or soy have serious behavioral problems. This was probably first seen in an undergraduate study with mice where the researchers said that when he went to pick up the mice from the GM-fed group, they were running around the cage and scrabbling up the sides and scared to death, and the others were fine. And I talked to Don Huber, who is a scientist uh, and a professor emeritus from Purdue University. He said he went to a... Uh, a rat study, and the, those that were eating non-GM soy or corn, in this case I think it was corn, he could pick up and pet and he could treat them like pets, whereas those that were eating the genetically modified feed, they were scared, antisocial, um, aggressive. A study out of Russia found that there was much more aggression among rats that were fed genetically modified soy, uh, biting the the handlers, etc. And from livestock, we hear constantly over and over again that when farmers or veterinarians take their animals off of GM feed, the behavior changes and they are, quote, happier. So they, they then realize that the animals who are antisocial or aggressive or feel like, seem like they're irritated or in some cases pigs that are cannibalistic, biting the tails and ears off of the other pigs, that goes away when they switched to a non-GMO diet. And in some cases, the same operation then switched back to a GM diet because they had no more non-GM. The behavior returned until they were able to secure non-GM once again, which is a pretty strong evidence, even though it's anecdotal. Okay. So now tell us about the gut lining and microbial balance in the animals. Well, this is where I got very interested. You know, when Don Huber was talking about the digestive problems and the behavioral problems to a, uh, a group in Germany, an autism doctor came up to him afterwards and said, this is exactly what we're seeing in autistic children. So that piqued my interest very much because I've always said, well, you know, GMOs were introduced at a time when autism just started to skyrocket. Maybe there's a correlation. And here is something that I'd love to throw out there into the research community for, for evaluation. Um, when, if you look at the generic effects of genetic engineering, no matter what gene you put in, it can still cause massive disruption of the lining of the intestines and the stomach. And this was demonstrated in a study published in The Lancet where uh, the rats either ate genetically engineered potatoes that produced its own insecticide or potatoes that were not genetically engineered but were spiked with the insecticide 
that the GM potatoes produced. But the, those that ate the group that was non-GMO did not have this proliferative cell growth and altered cellular architecture. Only those that ate the genetically engineered potato had the problem. So it was not the insecticide that was the cause of the problem. It was the genetic engineering generically, per se, uh, of the potato that caused this dramatic change in the gut lining in just 10 days. If you add to that BT toxin, now we're thinking about the BT toxin eating holes in the digestive tract. Now we take a look at what butchers are telling us and what veterinarians are telling us. They're saying that when they, when they break, when they cut open an animal that's been eating GM feed versus non-GM feed, those that are eating the GM feed, the, the intestines are weak. They're paper thin sometimes. They shred as they come out. In fact, in the U.S., we can no longer use intestines as sausage casings in this country, so we import sausage casings from New Zealand. And they say it's just the opposite in the non-GM-fed animals where it's intact, non-discolored organs. In fact, they also say that those animals that have been fed GMOs have a stench and a discoloration and many believe that that is the change in the gut bacteria. And there are many reasons why eating genetically engineered foods might cause a change in microbial balance. And I've heard this from two veterinarians. Both told me, and both have been in business for a long time treating livestock. They said when GMOs were introduced, the gut bacteria became pathogenic. There was a change there. It was a problem. Both have had to treat gut bacteria in animals much more since GMOs were introduced. Do you think that also has a, a trickle-down effect of being harmful when biosolids are sprayed, when animal leavings are used as fertilizer or such? Well, I do think so because, for example, chicken manure can contain high levels of Roundup, and Roundup is known to be an antibiotic. And if you consume products with high levels of Roundup, then it might alter the gut bacteria, killing off a lot of the, the bacteria in the gut. And since we know that genes can transfer from Roundup-ready soybean into our gut bacteria, possibly making them Roundup-ready, then it might cause a proliferative effect of those bacteria in our guts that are Roundup-ready. So now we have Roundup-ready gut bacteria. So, yes, I do think that the chemicals associated with the herbicide-tolerant GMOs, the Roundup in particular, and also Liberty herbicide, are antibiotics and may affect the gut bacteria and bacteria in the soil. We know that, too. Um, I don't know if the BT toxin would survive uh, through the uh, manure, etc. So why are you correlating what's happening in the guts of livestock with the situation of children with the diagnostic label of autism? Well, what I have heard, and this again, I'm not the expert in autism and never claimed to be, so my, my, my questions are poignant, but my answers are, are, are wanting. Um, I have heard that autistic children have a high incidence of digestive ailments. Uh, diarrhea, for example, and we know that from a recent uh, article published out of Denmark, farm workers that switched their pigs from GM soy to non-GM soy, massive diarrhea problems go away. We hear about gut dysbiosis. 
I've already talked about gut bacteria changes, and we know that the Roundup can do it, the gene transfer can, might do it, the BT toxin somehow works in concert with gut bacteria, that might be a problem. So the gut dysbiosis or, or imbalance in the gut bacteria is there in parallel. We've heard about intestinal permeability in autistic children, and we know that if the BT toxin breaks open uh, the gut walls and allows undigested food into the digestive, into the um, bloodstream, it might cause uh, autoimmune disease, allergic reactions, inflammation, and some have said, I've been to many, many uh, medical conferences speaking about GMOs and have heard some talk about a link to autism from holes in the gut walls. And that's a very common description that I hear in actually for several years. Now, in addition, there's immune system responses, I understand, uh, from autistic children, and that even the BT toxin is shown to elicit immune system responses. In fact, virtually every competent feeding study of animals that tested immune system responses to GMOs found them whether the, there was a dramatic increase in cytokines and IgE and IgG and all that, or whether there was a damage to the immune organs, the immune system organs, we find that consistently. So I see a lot of arrows pointing, and at the same time, we see a suspicious correlation of a dramatic increase in autism since GMOs were introduced in 1996. So these I put out as evidence that requires further investigation. And what I'm saying, I say that to the scientists, but what I say to the mothers is for many reasons, for many reasons, take your children off of GMOs. And if your child happens to have autism or autism spectrum disorder and they have changes, please let us know because that will provide us more information to identify whether this is in fact a, a cofactor. Very good, and we'll talk a little bit more about a case study later when we come back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Every weekend, take some time out of your schedule for New Reflections, featuring Dr. Adam Rubenstein. It's a show about all things aesthetic, from skin care to plastic surgery, health and beauty. You'll learn about the aesthetic products and procedures to embrace or avoid. Each show will feature live, virtual, interactive consultations that you'll be able to follow along with and featured guests from the world of beauty and aesthetics. Listen Saturdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, for New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. 
We are back with Jeffrey Smith, author of Seeds of Deception and Genetic Roulette, and we are talking about genetically modified organisms, having a rather Frankensteinian conversation, but this is very important. Um, Jeffrey, do animals, have animals actually died from trying to process genetically modified food? Well, there has been a higher death rate in many different laboratory studies, uh, and often dismissed by the biotech industry as not treatment-related without proper evaluation and proof. I did talk uh, recently to a number of farmers who talk about high death rates among their animals that are fed GMOs, um, and I had that experience also in India. Now, in the case of India, um, thousands of sheep and buffalo and goats perished after grazing on cotton plants after harvest. They were from genetically modified BT cotton. The same animals had no symptoms whatsoever in many years prior grazing on natural cotton plants. I went to one village where they had lost all 13 buffalo after they allowed the buffalo to graze on BT cotton plants for a single day. Now, one of the symptoms or the the characteristics found in the autopsy of the sheep was they had shriveled intestines. And according to uh, biologist P.M. Bhargava, a renowned uh, biologist in India, he believes that the reason why the, sh- the intestines were shriveled was because the rumen, which is the first compartment in digestion in these sheep and buffalo, etc., normally has bacteria in it that break down the cellulose and then allow it to pass on to the intestines. Well, he believes that the BT toxin somehow killed the, intest- the rumen bacteria, not allowing the food to pass on, so the animals essentially starve to death. Later, after talking to him, I spoke to the person who assisted on the autopsy of buffalo, and he said, sure enough, uh, there was undigested food in the rumen, which would be unusual and supporting to this hypothesis. Now, I talked to another person who said he, his client had miniature steers. This is in the United States, and this was information that came to me just this year, uh, but it was from several years ago. He was raising miniature, miniature uh, steer cows that were only three feet high, and was feeding them non-GM corn. When they switched to GM corn, they bloated up and almost all of them died in two weeks. And uh, when I, he had told me this, I told him the story about India, and he says, well, yeah, these small cows are like large sheep. You know, they don't have a, the same kind of digestive system as regular cows in terms of the size and proportion to the food. Now, this may be the reason, the, the, the gut bacteria or the rumen bacteria, we don't have lumen, so it may not influence us. But there's other stories of animals that have died as a result of GMOs, or the death rate is higher um, of cows or pigs, and the medicine use is much higher. There was a, a Danish pig farmer story that, that surfaced last week where the guy saved two-thirds the amount of money he would normally spend on medicine was saved when he switched his pigs to non-GM soy, and that alone paid for the extra cost of getting non-GM soy into Denmark. Wow, um, what a good point. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a, a very, very interesting. That, that is a very good point about the economics of staying healthy. Uh, you also have a theory about botulism and sudden infant death syndrome. Well, it's not my theory. I did report it uh, in some writing, and um, it was first introduced to me by Don Huber, He pointed out that there are some bacteria in cows that control the growth of the botulism. Uh, 
There's a, uh, the Clostridium botulinum is normally held in check by certain gut bacteria within cow's digestive tract, but that bacteria that holds it in check is extremely sensitive to the active ingredient in Roundup called glyphosate. And tiny amounts of glyphosate can knock out the population of this beneficial bacteria, and he believes that's why botulism is on the rise in livestock uh, because the controlling bacteria is killed off. Now, when you, when you look at the research, some of the published research on sudden infant death syndrome, you'll find that a percentage, not the majority, but a percentage of those with SIDS had, they had chronic low-level botulism presence. And the way that botulism kills, it paralyzes the muscles, and it is parallel to the way in which SIDS may kill. And so the, the conclusion of these authors in these published studies was that botulism does appear to have a causative effect in some percentage of SIDS cases. Wow. Certainly, certainly a good direction for thought and investigation. Well, tell us about the animals fed. You were talking about animals fed GM feed when compared with those fed organic feed and how the animals who weren't eating GM feed did better. So how would this correlate with humans? Well, you know, we've, we've actually hinted on it all along, and it's, it's, it's dramatic. And I think that the easiest way is when people switch their animals from GM to non-GM, what the difference is. I was talking to a guy that had a, uh, a cattle feeding operation with 5,000 head, and he said his veterinarian, who I also know, encouraged him to switch to non-GM corn. Within two days, their food intake increased, and he noticed very soon that the pneumonia levels went down and that the death rate dropped. Instead of one to two a week, it was back to one to two a month where it had been before GMOs were introduced. I was talking to a, a pig farmer. He's got thousands of pigs. He, um, he personally was in charge of the nursery of the pigs, and was told by his brothers that he had the easiest job on the farm, which was true. But then 14 years ago, they switched to non-GM, switched from non-GM corn to GM corn and soy, and the disease rate shot up and the behavior changed, and he had one of the most difficult, maybe the most difficult job on the farm for 14 years. Wow. They did not think it was the GMOs. It was the influx of foreign pigs into the area that got the blame until in December they switched to non-GM corn and within three days they noticed a, such a big difference in the nursery they actually joked and said well maybe it's the non-GM corn but by 11 days into the experiment it was no joke and this guy called an acquaintance of mine and was stammering and so excited he could hardly get it out and he realized by then that the animal's health and behavior had returned to how it had been 14 years before when he had the easiest job on the farm, and that he was seeing the difference in the animals clearly. Now, I've heard this type of thing happen in this continent and other continents, and, of course, when you look at the lab feeding studies and you compare GM to non-GM, then you see animals who are fed the GM have a variety of things, including stomach lesions, liver 
liver lesions, toxicity in the liver and kidneys, smaller brains, livers, and testicles, damaged uterus and ovaries, damaged young sperm cells, higher infant mortality rate, potentially precancerous cell growth, and in some cases with hamsters, fed GM soy for three generations, not only did most lose the ability to have babies, some had hair growing in their mouths. So the, the impact is, is across the board. It's, kind of, it's more than kind of scary. It's absolutely astounding. And what's more astounding is that whenever these findings surface, the biotech industry switches into high gear to distort or deny the findings right. and to cancel any follow-up that might prove the causation. Right. Now, what are the different standards with organic food? Organic foods, if something is certified organic, it has three different classes. It could be 100% organic. It could be um, 95% organic or it could be 70% organic as a minimum. And the way that these are denoted on the front of the package is it will either say 100% organic, organic, or made with organic ingredients. But in all three cases, the products that are not organic, like in the case of the 70%, they still have to be non-GMO. But if you don't see the word organic on the front of the package and you only see the word organic on the label of the food ingredients, the food ingredients label where it says, you know, soybeans and canola and whatnot, if it says organic soybeans, within that only, it does not tell you that the other products on the label in the ingredients are non-GMO. So if it says, and I've seen this, organic soybeans in one line and canola in another line, the canola can certainly be non can certainly be genetically engineered. Okay, I guess I'll have to go to your website for a refresher course on this and the finer points. And what was that website again? Yes, for that one, you'll want to go to non-GMOshoppingguide.com. We explained it there very clearly. But essentially, Products that are certified organic have been a trusted oasis for those of us seeking non-GMO products. Now, organics do not require testing for GMOs, and so we have on our site only products that have been verified by the non-GMO project, which does require testing. So we'll have both organic and non-organic products there, but all of which have been verified by a third party as meeting their standard. Okay, very good. We're going to go right through to the end of the program um, now, and let's start by talking about if there are any laws that are trying to jeopardize what is considered organic. Well, there's always a kind of pressure by the corporations that may have bought into the organic industry that may want things easier or less expensive. And so anytime you see a petition that says help protect organic standards, it's worth filling out and sending in because we need to keep organic organic. Right now, there has been no uh, effort uh, to try and introduce GMOs into organics since 360,000 comments were submitted years and years ago when the USDA took over organic standards and proposed that organics include GMOs and sewer sludge, etc. So that has been stopped, and it is a pretty strong pillar of organic at this point. Very good. Okay, we will be right back with Jeffrey Smith here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Professionals and families who are dealing with autism face challenges that can lead to many questions. Questions about how to understand, communicate, and support each other. 
Every week, Autism Today with host Dr. Patrick J. Rydell will focus on dealing with the diagnosis and the day-to-day challenges of autism spectrum disorders. Dr. Rydell will combine his 30 years of experience along with featured guests from the ASD field to provide their insights and answers to your questions. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Jeffrey Smith. Jeffrey, does this issue, genetically modified organisms, tie into any other larger world issues citizens face that are jeopardizing health? I think that the pattern of corporate takeover of our food supply and of our regulatory agencies ties into many areas. I think we're facing what I've called and what I've learned from others is corporatocracy, where really we have the fox guarding the hen house in so many areas, and the truth is not getting out about the toxicity of certain uh, medicines and foods and air and water, etc. So I think that this is uh, emblematic or illustrative of a overall systemic problem. The issue with GMOs is that it has a unique exposure in that it affects everyone who eats and all future generations because once released into the environment, you cannot recall the genetic pollution from the gene pool. It just self-propagates. In addition, because it is food, we can get rid of it without having to change policy of the government. This was uh, demonstrated in Europe where concern by consumers over GMOs prompted by high-profile food safety scandal about GMOs in 1999 essentially created a tipping point of consumer rejection in just 10 weeks, where after a 10-week firestorm of media coverage, food companies realized that GMOs had become a marketing liability and kicked them out. So our Institute for Responsible Technology is promoting a tipping point of consumer rejection by educating. We we target 5% of the U.S. population, which we think would be sufficient to create that tipping point, by, by arming them with information about the health risks and how to avoid GMOs. So that sort of sets GMOs apart from other major problems where the market may not be as sensitive to this. And it's sensitive in part because GMOs offer no consumer benefit. So no one wakes up in the morning looking for their dose of BT toxin or Roundup herbicide. <laughs> so the food companies have no compelling reason to keep it in order to not to lose customers. Okay. But who does it offer benefit to? Somebody must think they're saving money because of it. Well, the biotech industry um, certainly benefits by producing the seeds and the chemicals that are used with it. Some farmers gain benefit from easier weed control because they can spray over the top of the farms and and not have to, you know, be the... It's a little bit easier to weed, and they can sometimes weed larger areas so they can have larger farms. 
the overall economic impact from GMOs has been a wash on average. It hasn't increased farmer income or decreased it on average, according to the independent studies, although some farmers do increase and some farmers do decrease. Um, it hasn't increased the U.S. bottom line. Their intention was to use GMOs to promote uh, U.S. interests and to increase domination of U.S. Food, uh, food control. The exact opposite happened. We lost our European markets for corn. Our soy market shrunk. Canada lost its canola market in Europe, etc. Prices dropped and farmers suffered that way as well. It doesn't feed the world. In fact, it works against feeding a hungry world. It doesn't increase yield. On average, it reduces yield. It doesn't increase the use. It doesn't decrease the use of agricultural chemicals. In fact, it increases it dramatically in the case of the herbicide. So it's really been um, a technology based on a lot of myths that have been propagated by hundreds of millions of dollars of media expenditure and control over the media, because as we see, the coverage of the facts about GMOs has been largely left out of mainstream media in the United States, and it's been much more, much better represented in other countries. Jeffrey, on a positive note, you wanted to share a case study with us about a mom who helped her child with organic food, her yeah. child who, has, who had autism. Yes, I spoke with uh, a woman whose son had uh, autism and she switched to a casein-free and a um, dairy-free diet and found some improvement, then switched to organic and found another big improvement. And she, was, she said basically her son is 80% is improved. And people would say, how do you do it? And she says, well, we're casein-free and dairy-free and we're 80% organic. And he's about 80% better. And then she'd say the same thing to the next person, the next person. And eventually she realized, I'm using the same term, 80% organic, 80% recovered. We've got to change it to 100%. She changed it to 100%. And within about six months, she said, her son is, is let's, she said, let's call it 95%. It's very, it's very close to fully recovered. And she blames that last closing the gap on organic. Now, when you look at the switch to organic, you know, I think the number of things. First of all, you're eliminating GMOs. And second of all, you're eliminating some of the toxic herbicides and pesticides and fertilizers and maybe some of the additives. So there's, there's no way to know whether the change in the organic diet is, and the reason why there was a change in the autism might be related to one or the other. So that's why when you look at animals, when they've just been switched out from GM to non-GM and their behavior changes automatically and their antisocial behavior disappears and their uh, aggression disappears, it gives me confidence that that may be a factor in what, the, what Laura, this woman, was telling me. Right. That's, that's what it sounds like. It's always good to, to uh, factor out confounding factors. Can you give us a sneak peek at your new documentary? Well, in fact, the new documentary does interview lots and lots of healthcare professionals who tell us that when they tell their patients and instruct their patients to avoid GMOs and the patients follow suit, the patients get better. It talks about some of these things we've talked about today of the, the young steers and, and other, other farmer and veterinarian-related experiences, some things I haven't shared, which we'll just have to wait for the film because it's pretty intense, and um, we talk about some of the details of what could go wrong because we've just been focusing on primarily digestion here and gut bacteria and a little bit of immune system, but the risks are actually greater, and we think that GMOs 
the fact that they are correlated in time with the increase of many, many diseases and disruptions in U.S. health, like the increase of inflammatory bowel disease by 40% since GMOs were introduced. The multiple chronic illnesses jumped from 7% to 13% in the first nine years since GMOs were introduced. Food-related illnesses doubled from 2000, from 94 to 2001. Uh, infertility, we didn't talk much about the reproductive disorders and some other aspects that will be featured in the film. That's a very big deal, including birth defects, infertility, high infant mortality in animals. These are some of the things that we'll be discussing. And when's that film coming out? Uh, probably June. We've got some um, things to work out in terms of animations and visual effects, and so we're waiting on these experts to finish up. So I'm hoping in June. Okay, we'll see if you can get a trailer to me that we can show at Autism One in May. Great, I'd love to. Wonderful. Well, Jeffrey, I want to thank you for bringing this very important issue to the attention of our listeners. And I want to say to the listeners, we, uh, this could be very shocking when you hear it for the first time, but there are millions of people who are in your shoes who have taken very important steps, and people are getting better. I hear this all the time. They switch to non-GMOs. They get better. And if you want to be involved with getting the word out to others, we've got tons of information at responsibletechnology.org. We have materials that you can purchase. We have videos, audios, books, etc. We have a tipping point network where you can hook up with others in your area, and we can even form a national group if there's interest specifically focusing on educating the autism community on the dangers of GMOs, which is something that I would love to do. Well, thank you so much for working on this. And Jeffrey Smith will be helping educate the autism community. He'll be speaking at the Autism One Generation Rescue 2012 conference, which is being held May 23rd through 27th in Chicagoland. Just $25 for five days and 150 presentations. Please pre-register at www.autismone.org. My guest next week is Annette Danielle, clinical psychologist and author of the new book, Kids Beyond Limits. Thank you to this program's sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.